One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Zach Rosak, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players, brought to you by bridge partners and friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with American champion Zach Grosak about paying attention and not paying attention to the table, to his partner and to his temperament. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you, Catherine? Jocelyn, I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well. Been really busy, but not with Bridge. Not with Bridge. No, it's been a bit of a quiet week for me too, though I will tell you it seems our listeners have been busy because we've had a bit of mail this week. Ah. Yeah. (laughs) A few letters. Would you like me to read them to you? Well, you know I love the letters. <laughs> <laughs> Okie dokie. Well, the first one, Jocelyn, is actually directed to you. Oh. <laughs> Oops. Yes. It is from Jim in the Chicago area, and he says, Hi, Jocelyn. I was thinking of you today. We made a hash of defending 3-no-Trump, letting them make 5 for a 10% board for us. And right away, WDP pops up followed by a piling on of T-Y, which is thank you. Oh, my God. I was biting my tongue, not happy. (laughs) It's a bugaboo of mine, and I get (laughs) that some people think it's polite. I I do understand that. We've heard from you, but I'm glad to know that Jim understands where I'm coming from about this. So thank you, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if it becomes more annoying now that people are looking for it than it was before. Have we done a service or a disservice? (laughs) Well, we're adding to the conversation about very important matters (laughs) of bridge table etiquette or (laughs) non-etiquette. Yes, yes. We have also heard from Carl from the San Francisco Bay Area. And Carl says, love your podcast, both the stories and interviews, which you keep very lively, 
And I look forward to a new episode every week. Thanks, Carl. So nice. So nice. He writes, several of your guests have talked about the importance of keeping on an even keel. I am a newer player, so I know this must be cliche, but it strikes me that golf and bridge are very similar. 18 holes and 18 boards, obviously for online tournaments. If you screw up one hole, you have to pretend it never happened and start over at the next hole. Yesterday, we got three 0% boards. I played one in four hearts and went down one. I knew I'd screwed it up, but I didn't know how badly until after the game was over because I ignore the history while I'm playing. I also played the next one and got 86%. We ended up with 63% and first place. So it was a good lesson for me to quickly forget and remain composed. Cheers, Carl. Yes, good reminder, Carl. I must say that that advice really sticks in my mind now. And every guest refers to it. Yeah. And they also specifically call out Bob Hammond as the master of that particular skill. Yes. The great spokesperson for keeping your composure at the table, Bob Hammond. Yeah. I'm really gratified that the advice from these guests has taken hold in Carl and that he persevered and was able to leave those zero percents behind and go on to win his match. That's fantastic. I wish I could do that as well. You seem like a pretty cool cat at the table to me, Jocelyn. Hmm. I don't think that a lot of my partners would agree with that. (laughs) But thank you for saying that. I think I wear my heart a a bit on my sleeve. Well, you must be wearing long sleeves then because I can never (laughs) tell. (laughs) Oh, well, that's why I love you, Catherine. Oh, I love you back. We have also heard from Jerry this week, and this is a response to our episode with Lisa Berkowitz a couple of weeks ago. Jerry writes, I was a newbie bridge player at my first regional tournament. I had heard of David Berkowitz, but did not know of Lisa. Playing in the Sunday Swiss, two ladies came to our table. I asked to see one of their convention cards. I observed that the name on the card was Lisa Berkowitz and asked, Are you related to David Berkowitz? Lisa replied, I go to bed with him every night. (laughs) All four of us at the table had a good laugh, and then they proceeded to blitz us in that round of Swiss. Of course they did. (laughs) Lovely, pleasant, very polite bantering, and then killers. (laughs) I love it. Absolutely. And our next letter is from Denise in Quebec. Denise wrote to us a while back about playing against Mequel. Do you remember? Oh, yes. Yes. She was playing with some friends who were more experienced and they knew all these experts. And Denise was extremely intimidated by sitting down at the table with (laughs) Mexroth and Rodwell. So, yes, I do remember that. (laughs) <laughs> well, Denise has another story to share with us about our episode with Thomas Bessis. She says it brought a huge smile to my face when he talked about the term dummy being called le mort in French, meaning the dead one or dead man if dummy is male. My partner and I, who are snowbirds from Quebec, were in a tournament somewhere in Florida. 
We were defending a hand and during the play, the declarer asked me about our auction. After answering, the dummy said something like, but are you sure you're giving a complete explanation? And he was actually using that to try and twig his partner to concentrate on what was going on. So he was using it to alert his partner to listen. My partner then jumped up and called the director. When the director was at the table and asked what he could do for us, my partner said, a little excited and in an approximate English, the dead man cannot speak. (laughs) The dead spoke. (laughs) Well, you should have seen all the blank faces around the table. I was the only one who understood what he meant, but I didn't feel like rescuing him. (laughs) So he repeated the comment with the same reaction from the director, which was a question mark on his forehead and his mouth open. My partner then tried to explain the situation and the director finally understood. I was having so much fun sitting there and watching the whole thing. (laughs) Very supportive there, Denise. Good job. (laughs) Poor him. And he knew the expression dummy very well, but in the excitement, the mother tongue took over. This is what happens when your brain is multilingual. Many idiomatic expressions get confused. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But in any language, dummy or le mort needs to stay quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And then we've heard also from Diana in Perth in Western Australia, and this goes nicely with Denise's letter. Diana writes, firstly, I would like to congratulate you on your podcast. I am thoroughly enjoying it. Oh, that's really nice. Mm, Thanks, Diana. A few weeks ago, you asked us to write in about medical emergencies that happened at Bridge. At my own Bridge Club in Perth, we have had a few of our members needing an ambulance or a doctor. But a friend of mine was telling me about a club session at her club in Sydney where an elderly gentleman was playing with his wife and he actually died. Ooh. Oh, dear. He was really mad. <laughs> <laughs> the director said, who would like to keep playing? <laughs> Gee. No. Wow. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. I'll get this. But most people wanted to continue. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, yeah, so God. they played on while the wife was sobbing and the players walked around the body. Oh, no. Finally, the ambulance came and collected the body. I still can't believe this happened. Diana. The wife is sitting there sobbing next to her husband's dead body. Presumably they put some kind of a sheet over him. I don't even know if that's appropriate. And meanwhile, the rest of the people are just continuing to play. Getting up, going to the next table, going to get some coffee, chit-chatting, kibitzing, what have you. (laughs) What have you? Oh, my God. (laughs) I think Kerry Sanborn, you remember she was saying in a tournament, I think somebody died and they continued the tournament. I don't know what's wrong with people. Well, it hasn't happened to me yet. I'd like to think that I had a little bit more compassion. I don't know. But maybe the show must go on. I don't know. If I dropped dead at a, at a bridge tournament, I guess I would have some understanding if people wanted to continue playing around my... You think I should call for a sub, Jocelyn? <laughs> <laughs> go to the partnership desk and say, I'm sorry, my partner died. I need a new partner. Do you have anybody that can just sub in now? Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> So if you have any good stories about gloating, you know, we can always talk about gloating 
or about Le Mort in all of its manifestations, please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or to sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram, or you can send us a voice message. And these links are in the show notes and on the website, along with some other good stuff. Coming up next, our interview with Zach Grosak. Hi, I'm Jim from the Chicago area, and I'm a listener supporter of Sorry Partner. What I really like about the show is it makes me laugh. Uh, I'll be out for a walk or I'll be working out and I just laugh out loud. It's so nice. Not only does the show make me laugh, but it also helps make me a better bridge player. If you are thinking about supporting the show, there is a link to their Patreon page on their website. It's self-explanatory on where to go from there. If you find them to be valuable and it's important to you that they continue to exist, then I recommend supporting, and I do support those kinds of things. American champion Zach Grosak learned to play bridge when he was nine years old. By the time he was 12, he was a life master. He has won six national championships and two junior world championships. And at the age of 22, he became the youngest Grand Life Master in ACBL history. We began by asking if he'd had any interesting hands lately. Well, I got to play with Jeff Mextroth for the first time as a partner this week, and it was an experience. Mostly the hands that stick out are hands where we had disconnects on the bidding, which is not necessarily a great thing to, you know, point out, but there was one hand where I was bidding for spades and Jeff wasn't sure what Trump was because I hadn't said it explicitly. I said it in my mind implicitly, said Trump. And he ended up passing four hearts when I was trying for slam and spades. And it was it was probably for the best because we made four hearts. I had a heart void. I was bidding and he had six. We make four spades too, but if we kept going, we would have gone down. So, you know, that's the kind of vibe of the week. We sort of did survive a lot of the, you know, we did well enough. We're very experienced bridge players, both of us, him more than me, obviously. But we sort of survived the week in this way. But until the end, we really didn't like come sit down. You know, you'd expect me and Jeff to sit down and people would be like, wow, they could really, you know, be tough. They could really like not be fun to play against. And hopefully that will be, I'll get another chance to play with Jeff and that's what we'll be like in the future. You have a reputation of being a fairly aggressive bidder. And I'm wondering how that translated when you were playing with Jeff Mextroth. Were you every bit as aggressive as normal or were you trying to maybe be a little bit more circumspect? I'm just so curious. You know, in hindsight, Jocelyn, I really wish I were a little more circumspect, as as you say. (laughs) I was pretty incessantly needled for the fact that Zach has never missed a game in his life, nor a slam, nor a grand slam. He thought I bid like a maniac, basically. He just kept (laughs) bidding and bidding and bidding. (laughs) In hindsight, I probably should have done a little bit, a little bit less. You know, there's this old adage about new first time partnerships where 
usually they do quite well when you have two reasonably strong players playing for the first time together. Sort of they call it the honeymoon phase where both players are just playing a very simple, straightforward bridge, trying not to make a confused bid for their partner. And it ends up that you have very good results because you don't end up with a lot of bad results. That's sort of you kind of avoid those very detailed auctions with agreements and you don't have disasters. I think that I was just like, I can bid how I'll normally bid and Jeff is so good he'll understand it. Yada, yada, yada. I kind of put that whole adage on the, the back burner. So, and we actually are supposed to play tentatively in 2024 in the pair game. And I said to him, we're playing a natural system. Under no circumstances are we doing this again. Now, to be clear, the system we played, I pretty much wrote, right? It's a transfer to a club and it's a very, it's fine. It's very playable. It can be very good. It just happens to be when you're playing in a new partnership, it's not optimal. And I can say that with some surety at this point. What do you most love about Bridge? How good I am at it. No, don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are. You are. Go on. Tell us what's, what's that like to be really good at something. Well, no, I just, it's really cool how much freedom Bridge has given me as an adult to just have a really, really good life. I mean, I, I, I don't know what else to say, but I get to wake up. I get to play the game that I've loved my whole life, be it online or now back in person. I've met some of the most accomplished people who are accomplished enough in life to be able to hire me to be their bridge partner, who have given me so much great life advice and become great friends of mine. You know, and I'm another really positive aspect of being a, a bridge pro is that I, I meet older people and I have a very easy time conversing with people above my generation or older than me and I just enjoy that I enjoy listening to other people's lives and stories and maybe wisdom but that's an old that's probably cliche I think just saying the life that bridges afforded me is my favorite part of bridge I know you were being droll but you said one of the things that you like about bridge is that you're so good at it you are really good at it what's that like I would like to know that is a very hard thing to answer in the sense that I was never the person that read a lot of bridge books and studied a lot of hands and studied suit combinations and studied squeezes and read books. That wasn't really me. I was kind of obsessed with it as a kid and just played hands. I would do this thing where I would sit on the Saturday morning as a kid and probably have like the Food Network on in the background. Like I would watch Ina Garten or like someone <laughs> like that as a kid and I would deal out hands and just play bridge by myself constantly. So I just saw a lot of hands and my brain kind of worked with it. Zach, when we were talking earlier uh, before the interview and you mentioned that you have ADHD, I wanted to find out how does that affect your bridge life? I definitely have issues with attention. I was diagnosed as a kid. I was medicated. I hated it. I never went through with it. I, 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 I cannot stand the drugs personally. I'm sure they work really well for some people. I do definitely have a hard time in the big events where people take minutes upon minutes to make one play one card over and over again. 
I certainly have developed the skill to just sit there and let my mind wander. Like I can count suits without really thinking about it often. So I'm able to let my mind wander during a hand where people are taking, let's say, forever and be able to know exactly where I am and not lose track or sight of what's going on. I'm trying to reconcile that with the keeping track, counting down from 13 with four suits going on. Uh, Yeah. When you say your mind is wandering, is it wandering outside of the the room, like away from the table? Yeah. What am I going to eat for dinner tonight? (laughs) What do I have to do when I get home? It's um, the, the best way for me not to get anxious at the table or not to get really like agitated when things are taking too long for me. So in a sense, you've put the other thoughts in another place. So you've compartmentalized the two processes. Is that what's happening? That, that's, yeah. I mean, I hadn't really thought about it in, a, in, a, in an actual way, but I, it totally could be that I'm just compartmentalizing the bridge thoughts from life thoughts and able to tap back into any given hand when I come back to reality. And the, the alternative to that is to allow myself just to sit there and perhaps become agitated because I have attention issues. I don't know. I think we all find that pretty annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing I do is, you know, especially now when you play online, when I'm playing bridge, I have some sort of background information app on always. I have the TV that I'm watching or I have actually my main thing is I have a crossword usually like when I'm playing, let's say it's March 2021. Okay, we're like mid lockdown. I'm playing bridge eight hours a day generally either in an online tournament or I'm playing three or four ACBL games with students or clients from around the world online. And I will be playing. And I'll sometimes, well, that during that, I was definitely watching the Great British Bake Off. That was like the best mindless <laughs> TV that you can get. Like zero attentive resources are needed to enjoy that show. But like also a, a thing I was doing a lot is I'd have a crossword. I'd have like an archived New York Times crossword that I'd do while I was playing. What would your regular partner say is your greatest strength as a bridge player? You know, Jocelyn, it's pretty hard to talk about your own strengths. I have to be honest with you. Well, I'm not asking you to say what your strengths are. Oh. I'm trying to say what would your partners say? Michael would say probably his instincts my bridge instincts because we've had these conversations where I will say I didn't make a play because it was anti-percentage but my gut feeling was 100% to get this right and he'll say you have to go with your gut 100% of the time there's no point otherwise because I'm pretty good at I have a feel for these things often you know I will say well this is this is how the hand has to be doesn't make any sense otherwise And what might Michael Rosenberg say is a particular weakness of Zach's bridge game? Two things. One, I had trouble always memorizing our exact agreements. Two, I will double in weird situations or make bids that are just too aggressive or too aggro or too out of left field for him to sort of comprehend and he developed actually this term for in the bidding he'd call it zach phobia which is now (laughs) which is now a completely barred word in our partnership because michael 
is very into bridge and like thinks about bridge constantly and he'll send us these reports and it will be like if we have a bad hand and he made a decision on a board that could have been not more optimal and he'll say well i didn't do it because of zach phobia and i was afraid if i doubled here instead you would just leave it in because you want to go for penalty all the time or something like that and you call it zach phobia and i said if you use that term one more time (laughs) how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with juvederm voluma xc in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment look younger feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with juvederm voluma xc Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's so interesting that you, the aggressive bidder who bids more than anybody, will take an opportunity to leave a takeout double in for penalties. Well, yeah. I mean, that's like the bread and butter. That's like, that is aggressive in itself. Bidding, you know, in response to a takeout double is conservative in that situation. Because that's just what you're supposed to do. The the aggressive action is leaving in a takeout double and going for penalty because that's not what you're supposed to do most of the time. You know, sometimes it's clear, but when it's not, I tend towards leaving it in penalty. You also play with Georgia Botta. Do you two have a similar dynamic? My first thought to that is Georgia is is very headstrong and, and, and like literally will give anything I say but right back to me, which I think is a very good thing. And like that is that's very good. We've become really, really good friends through playing bridge together. We do well. I'm very happy to have a partner for mixed events that plays as well as she does and happens to be a very close friend of mine. So the other really good thing about me and George's relationship is that we do fight. There's, there, I mean, just to be very, very clear, like we fight about bridge, but we're both really good at letting it go within, you know, within the half hour or hour. 
it's just let go, move on. You know, I said something like, what the fuck are you doing? Or something like, I'll be like, why the fuck didn't I get it? Like, and she'll be like, fuck you. And sorry, this is a lot of swearing. This is the actual dialogue. <laughs> You're like, go fuck yourself. And <laughs> I'll be like, okay. And like 20 minutes later, we can just, we, we don't even have to revisit it, you know? So that's, that's definitely a, a good thing for a partnership that both players can just like really not hold on to, not take it personally when someone gets mad about a bridge hand. It's not like, I'm not saying I hate you as a person. She's not saying, so do I. It's more like, well, I didn't understand this bridge thing and I'm reacting. And she's like, well, I'm going to react back and then we won't talk about it later. Or usually I start it. So that's valid. Zach, you've had a number of relatively long-term partners now in your bridge career. What have been some of the challenges of those partnerships? I would say certainly being a good or the best partner I can be, as well as bringing out the best game in my partner is something that I've really grown more and more cognizant of as I've become an adult. And not to say that I'm better or worse than anyone else, but I'm certainly better than <laughs> I once was at, at those aspects of those sort of emotional partnership aspects of bridge than I was as a kid, but it's something I still really work on and think about a lot, you know, think about how I can react and respond in, a, in an emotional way that makes my partner play better bridge it's not always easy how do you work on it i think honestly just just thinking about it and being cognizant of it is really important not letting your guard down thinking about the effect my actions however angry or upset i am or in that moment just like trying to think about what how my actions will affect my partners and not just my own and it's something i constantly have to remind myself of because i can just get into this zone of not caring, you know, and just reverting back to sort of old habits of just not being particularly nice. And I think thinking about it, thinking about it while playing, you know, is a really important part of becoming a better partner, bringing up the better game from your partner. Zach, what's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you when you were playing bridge? Maybe not the funniest thing, but I was when I was playing with Zia in the Blue Ribbon Pairs a long time ago, we had a lot of kibitzers during this event. And it was maybe the second to last round of something. And Zia and I, you know, we weren't fine-tuned in our bidding or anything. So we opened like a no trump. They overcalled two of a major. And a lot of pros play transfer Lebensol here where you either Q-bid, their suit is stamen, and you whatever you bid otherwise is a transfer to the suit above it. But some people play that transferring to their suit is stamen, and Q-bidding is a transfer. So we had not, I don't think, explicitly discussed it. So I tried one of them. He thought it was stamen. I thought I was showing spades. We have <laughs> a disaster of an auction. Zia lands in six spades. We're, we're, we're no play in six spades. <laughs> Zia's looks at dummy, comes out, doesn't say anything. So we're just playing six spades and he leads a suit and the guy in his right shows out. And it's not really possible for the guy in his right to show out. So Zia looks at this, he waits a second for the guy to correct it. And then he just tells him, okay, no, 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 put that back. You can't, you can't do that. You can't revoke because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to win that way. He says, put it back. And it's, and then 
play goes on and then he leads the same suit again and the guy has another let's say it's clubs the guy has another club and again he shows out he revokes then <laughs> <laughs> the same suit and zeal looks down at this and i'll like never forget his face and he knows he like he just has the count on the hand he's counting everything he knows the guy has like at least another club or two and he looks at this and he's like waiting for the guy to fix it and then he just keeps playing he just slams a card on the table <laughs> it goes next you know, the guy, they win this trick, right? And then they keeps going. A club comes up. The guy now, a couple of tricks later, follows with the club. I'm just like, at this point, like, totally amazed. And we're down two, but it's a two-trick penalty because they won the <laughs> trick on the trick they revoked. And like, oh. and now he made six spades. It was ridiculous contract. At the time, <laughs> I, like, was hysterically laughing. I had to leave the table because it was so funny. And this guy double revoked. Like, he didn't let him revoke the first time, but... On the second remote, he's like, well, you know what? You got your chance. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the face he had made. He made, he was like, he looked at this. He was like, I'll never forget the face he made when the, like the second revoke happened. And like, he had, cause he just had no idea what to do. It was so like awe striking. The guy would revoke in the same suit for the second time <laughs> in the same hand. That's great. What's the biggest schlamozzle you've ever had at the table? Well, I can, a recent one in, uh, in Reno, I was playing the last board of the Vanderbilt round of eight, the quarterfinals of the Vanderbilt. And we're in the last board and we have a pretty reasonably decent set. And it was very close. And Michael and I land in three, no Trump, um, on a, on a little bit of a weird auction, but you know, relatively normal contract. And I had ace third of hearts opposite too little and the opponent led some other suit a spade my right hand opponent won it and played back a low heart and at this point i had to decide whether or not i wanted to try to sneak a trick through from dummy and go for nine that way or i could play for the guy who led a heart to have five hearts and my left hand opponent to have three hearts Duck both hearts twice and play for my left hand opponent to have all the outside the outside entries, which is sort of the normal correct play, the second the latter. And I decided to go for something funny where I I pretended like I had the suit well stopped. I won the first trick with the ace, which most people don't do if they just have the bare ace. And I went to dummy to try to sneak a trick through, and uh, this blew up in my face. And we <laughs> lost the, the round on this board because I was cold for the contract and. We lost in the Vanderbilt because on the last board because of this. Oh, yeah, it wasn't a happy occasion. Yeah, you did so well at that tournament. I'm just gonna say that was fabulous what you guys did <laughs> at that tournament. So yeah, well done. Yeah, that it was sort of like this bittersweet thing. Like I just won the Platinum Pairs. We were just like cruising into the semifinals of the Vanderbilt, and then I just like decided to go down in a cold contract on the last board to lose the match, and it was uh, harrowing. Well, it's it's good for for players like us to know that you're not perfect. <laughs> I have a litany of pans for you to show you that. <laughs> Do you have a favorite convention or gadget that you really like to play? You know, I get this question a lot, and I'm not that emotionally attached to certain bridge conventions. Like, it's not. I'm more. I want to answer the question in reverse. <laughs> there are certain conventions I don't like that have become integrated. Okay, one, the four-card major, five-card minor double of a no-trump. Not cool. Not for me. 
two, X, Y, Z. I want one club, one heart, one spade, two clubs, no interference, to be clubs. I want to be able to play partner's five-card suit. Now, if you want to play X, Y, Z over a diamond, whatever, it's fine. (laughs) I also don't particularly care for this new thing where it goes like one major pass, two clubs, which could be two. Unless you're playing a very well thought out relay system over that where responder shows their shape via relay bids, I think it makes natural bidding very difficult. So to answer your question about a favorite convention, I named three conventions I don't particularly care for. (laughs) Are there any that you do particularly like? Okay, I like Flannery, and this is, again, against the green. I like Flannery because I love when one hard pass, one spade can show five. That is my favorite part of Flannery and probably my favorite convention. I also really like the European style of opening three of a suit of three-level preempts in first seat favorable is completely destructive. It denies anything resembling a good hand it shows six cards in the suit and it is totally for the purpose of a destructive bid i i I play this with my current partner michael rosenberg it's worked really well and it makes the two level openings constructive which is good for me because in the past if i opened two spades white versus red at various ages of my life i mean god knows what i'd have five spades the jack and a a, a singleton (laughs) heart it could have been anything you know but nowadays it's because I have three spades as the, the crazy bid by convention, I can have two spades. can be a nice, good-looking preempt. Ace, queen, six, you know, call it a day. I once played a hand against you, and I was so verklempt because I was playing opposite you. I opened what I thought was a preempt. It was a preempt of two spades. And at the end of the hand, you said to me, do you realize that you just... Opened a one-level bid against me at the two-level. I completely tricked you out of your contract, but I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and you were so you were so amused by it. You went around telling everyone. I remember you told Joe Grew. I was so embarrassed, but it was great. It ended up it was that classic thing. It ended up being great, but I was mortified. I had no idea. <laughs> well, was I kind of a jerk, or was I like genuinely like humored by how you? Totally oh, you! I think me. you were genuinely entertained. You were, you were, you were neither here nor there to me. It was fine. I wasn't like one way or another. But you were just so entertained. You were telling people, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I'm glad you guys played against me then, and not when I was much younger. I don't know why I'm just divulging this, but I, I definitely used to and still struggle with, you know, being. I can. I have trouble often being a very supportive and nice partner. And as a kid, I was. It wasn't comparable to how I behave today. But as a kid, I was really bratty, and really difficult. I remember, I used to play with my mom, and nowadays I am so happy to be playing bridge with my mother, as a twenty-four year old, almost to be twenty-five adults. Like to be able to have this passion that I can play with, like my mom is. I'm incredibly grateful for now, but when you're 14 and like your mom's your main bridge partner and you're going to compete and win at all costs at the club game on Thursday night. And my mom, my mom is a very good bridge player. Sometimes she would make an error 
And I would just, every time I would just go berserk, I would be such a little shit, you know? So that's why I'm happier you played against me when I was an adult. Because if you open two spades with a 13 count, let's say, and it totally got me and I was at the time, let's say 15, there would have been a very angry, chubby little boy at the table. Well, not that little. (laughs) (laughs) Is there any aspect of your game that you feel is not as good as when you were much younger? Absolutely. I definitely lost some of my creative spunk. Like I used to come up with the most out of bounds bids that you could imagine, you know, and that would probably have a lower, not necessarily a high percentage chance of working, but I had very good timing because I have very natural, uh, I'm natural bridge player, right? There's naturals and there's people that work hard. And I was saying earlier that I'm a sort of not one of those people that reads a lot, does all that and sort of just try to play very naturally. And I would have very good timing and I would use the score and the scoring of bridge and, and you make these zany bids and they would like, you know, and I'd find a way to go to get out for down one and they would make opponents would be making 120 or 110. And there was so much more of that when I was a kid of these like little match point sort of stealing the contract as much as possible and trying to take as many tricks as possible that Unfortunately, I sort of lost because they're too high risk and they're not actually, you know, good propositions. But I kind of miss, I used to, I used to produce more. Certainly I used to produce the most (laughs) tops of any kid around nowadays. You know, it's just not something I do as much. I mean, I still, like people will be laughing at that comment because they'll be like, he bids more than anyone I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) But they haven't seen me when I was 14. It's the answer to them. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll bet if you could take yourself now and put yourself next to that 14-year-old kid, you would be very frustrated about a lot of things that that kid was doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. Like I said, behaviorally, I'm very happy with how much effort I put into that. I also, as 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 a millennial or I, I don't know if I'm a millennial or Gen Z or whichever, you, I, I'm right on the border. But as they do, I was on Instagram and I saw one of these motivational things about how look at yourself five years ago and look at yourself now and what you've accomplished and be reflective, yada, yada. And I, I've done a lot of, I've accomplished a lot of the bridge goals, you know, I've been looking for. Not all of them. I've won a world championship, an open one. I haven't won a major spin gold at Vanderbilt. So there's a lot still to play for, but I have won a lot of stuff and played with a lot of the people I dreamed of playing with as, you know, Jeff the first time when I was 24. And I played with Zia and the Blue Ribbon Pairs when I was 21, and that was that was awesome. I mean, we didn't do particularly well, mainly because we had a pretty bad last day. But we we had the most kibitzers of anyone in that event by a lot because Zia draws a crowd, and he's playing with the young kid, you know, on the block, and we would just play. And there was there's a famous C kind of picture of us on Facebook where we have literally I think 10 kibitzers just huddled around the table. He is he's a very colorful person to play with because he's so expressive at the table. So, you know. How do you feel about the kibitzers? I personally love kibitzers. I'm very much an entertainer. You know, I, I enjoy showmanship. <laughs> no regrets. I enjoy the showmanship aspect. Bridge has to be fun. Bridge has to be entertaining. You know, I, or else what's, you know, I, they, I, of course you can be serious in that and really play it. It's a card game and love that about it. And I love 
serious nature of bridge, but it also can be fun at the same time and should be entertaining. And I, I love when people are watching and they can, especially if they're friends of mine or acquaintances and show them a little bit and be funny. And it doesn't really make me nervous, except if we're doing, if we're having, like if, and especially if I made an error or made a miscalculation or made a bad bid or a crazy thing or on a couple hands in a row and I have a kibitzer, then I can just sort of spiral a little bit. But I would say most of the time, I really enjoy having people watching in, in the game with me. When we talked to Bob Hammond, he said that he'll muck around a bit with the kibitzers in that he, I don't know that he was such a fan of them. And so he likes to do stuff like look at the hands really quickly and then conceal them from the kibitzers, stuff like that. <laughs> do you ever do things like that? Yeah, certainly if I'm in a, not in a good mood, I'll do that. That's for sure. But I'm, I, I'm not on the opposite side of, of Bob on this one. I enjoy including people. I'll sort of go out of my, well, actually comes from my mother. My mom used to do this thing where she would like jab me in the side if she couldn't see my hand for long enough. She'd like poke me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Zach, Zach, can't see it. I'd be like, mom. Only mom. <laughs> right, only mom, but she used to do that. So now it's like, you know, I sort of know how important it is for someone's experience to actually see your hand via a very motherly mother. It's the only adjective I'll use there. <laughs> What's the best bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given? Well, for me, it is getting your partner to play well is just as important as playing well for yourself. The abilities you have to make your partner play your best, their best game are certainly a part of being a good bridge player yourself. And I still have to this day I'm really sitting with that advice and not always following as much as I want to. And it's just something I'm really cognizant of. And I wasn't really blessed with the natural ability to be always the best partner at all times. One thing I got from actually a sports psychologist, I, you know, that's how far this went, is that you have to think that your partner is coming from a place of positive intent when they're playing bridge your partner is not trying to sabotage you. They are doing the best they can, right? That is something that I like explicitly thought the opposite of. Let's say going back again, playing with my mom when I was 14, I would think she's sabotaging us. That's how I would think. You know, this is the way, this is the view that my brain would have. Sort of something I really have to try to break and I am still struggling with breaking, you know, at all times. And you played with your brother so often, so there was probably a sibling rivalry that was kind of underscoring that sense that you had, maybe. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a sabotaging thing is something that's still ha that happened a lot with Adam, too. Adam was my regular partner for years, and then the deal we got for our national team was that Adam would play with our client because they had established a partnership. And so I was... Not forced, but I, I was sort of, I moved in a direction of finding a different partner, which, I mean, I'm not happy about, but was, was really probably good for us, our relationship, because we played together for so long, and I had such a difficult time, you know, just being a good partner to Adam, because he's my brother. I mean, I, you know, he's your brother, you love him, but you don't always like him, especially as your bridge partner, you know, and we were very, very close, Adam and I, and it was not good. You know, I just have so much 
fire and <laughs> I wouldn't think, you know, that he's coming from a positive place of intent a lot. So yeah, I'm actually really grateful that we sort of were able to separate for a little while and I fully plan on resuming a partnership with my brother as I get older, but it's sort of allowed for me to do some pretty necessary maturing to play with a sibling and a family member because that can be really, really hard. <laughs> Zach, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been so great talking to you. It's been really great. Thanks a lot. Thank you for having me. It's been really fun. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Zach Grosak. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Thank you also to our friend, Larry Cohen. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode description in your app, on the website, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you, but be nice or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Zach says, helping your partner to play their best game is a key part of being a good bridge player yourself. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. (laughs) Bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Manny's and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.